Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment and let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, we're continuing in our new series, Philippians Unstoppable Gospel, and the text is Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. And coming up on September 24th, we have our first Newcomers Lunch of the new ministry year. And if you're new with us, this is a great way to come and meet some of the leadership at Southview, as well as others that are new to the church. All that we ask is that you register in advance so that we know how much food to prepare. You can register on our website, southviewchurch.com. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that'll make sure that you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. If you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. And then here's Philippians 1, 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in all of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the uh, day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Welcome, and I want to thank uh, our reader. You went back this way. Anyway, you were awesome. And thank you for coming up and reading. And in one short week, it has become uh, basically my favorite part of the service. Uh, and I'll say this as well. As the person who's coming up to preach um, on a text, it's pretty special to have that text read by the congregation immediately prior to coming up and preach. And if you're not aware, we're in uh, the second week of our new series, Philippians, Unstoppable Gospel. Namely, the gospel message is one that cannot be stopped, despite people's attempt to thwart it through history. And so we want to examine this letter from the Apostle Paul, and we want to learn from it. How can we find joy in the midst of life's challenges? 
How can we cultivate a spirit of unity and love? And finally, how can we live out the gospel message in our everyday lives, wherever we've been uniquely placed? And last week, Sam gave us some history and context around the city of Philippi, as well as noting that this letter is one of the prison epistles. And all that means is that it's one of the letters that was written by Paul while he was in prison. And so there's Philippians, there's Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so with that knowledge of Paul in prison, Sam asked the question, well, how do we then find peace in a chaotic world? So first, we're to trust in the unstoppable gospel. Jump right in, regardless of our circumstances. And whatever those circumstances are, we seek to live boldly in mission. Not living reactively, but alongside the Philippians, carry out the work to which we've been called. And we're to do this together. Paul calls the Philippians to unity in verse 27. And we know from life experience that we can accomplish more if we work together in unity. We need each other. And lastly, our success isn't measured by status or honor like the culture of the Philippians, but rather on the fruit that we bear. And so Sam challenged us to examine this fruit. Does this fruit contain healthy relationships? Does it include acts of love and generosity? Are we doing what is right in the world in the eyes of Christ? So this week we're going to look at verses 3 through 11, and really this is still the opening of the letter And we're familiar with letters in our modern context. Perhaps it's emails or even text messages now. But even I had a pen pal, grades three through five. His name was Manfred. We went to school together in grade two. And then he moved back to China. And I think we sent like five or six letters. I don't know. Hi, Manfred. I miss you. But letters in ancient times were slightly different in form back then. And there are actually thousands of ancient letters that have been found, and most of them have a form exactly like what we find in the New Testament. Typically, it starts with the name of the writer, then the name of the recipient, followed by a greeting. And then after that greeting, there's a prayer and or a thanksgiving. And that's exactly what we have in our text here today. And despite the different types of letters found in the New Testament, all the epistles have one thing in common. And this is the crucial thing to note in reading and interpreting them. They are all what is technically called an occasional document. And they are all from the first century. So that doesn't mean that we don't believe that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit and thus belonging to all time. We absolutely believe that they were and are, but they were first written out of the context of the author. So in our case today, Paul. And then the letter is written to the context of the original recipient, the church in Philippi. And so when I use the term occasional document, I mean that it's arising out of and it's intended for a specific occasion. So when we're interpreting scripture like this, it can at times 
be a little more difficult when we take into consideration these factors. We have to first and foremost understand what was being said to the original audience before we can ask what it then means for us. So here's two more things to keep in mind when interpreting an epistle, and I'll use epistle and letter kind of interchangeably. First, a text cannot mean what it never could have meant to the author or the recipient. A text cannot mean what it never could have meant to the author or the person receiving the letter. And then secondly, when we share a familiar life situation with the original audience, then God's word to us is the same as it was to them. So when we look at the letter to the Philippians, we know the occasion is Paul is in prison. And we know from last week that the church in Philippi has sent a gift to Paul through a member named Epaphroditus. And what makes this letter unique is that it's primarily a letter of friendship. And this is one of the styles of letters in ancient times. It followed a formula. And this friendship is quite clear as we read in Philippians 7. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. There's a deep affection here between Paul and the Philippians. And most significantly, this friendship in particular is radically transformed from a linear two-way bond to a three-way bond between Paul and the Philippians and Christ. And you can see this in verse 8 where Paul says he longs for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. Paul cares for this church, but he's pointing to Christ even in that. And as we look back to last week where Sam talked about Christ, Christ as the vine and us as the branches, we recognize that we are connected to Christ, and when we are, it is he who will lead us to fruitfulness or lead to fruitfulness in our lives. And the predominant motif in this letter is that everything is in or by and for Christ Jesus. He is the basis of their common existence. He's the basis of our common existence. He is the focus. He is the content of the gospel. In fact, to put it more plainly, it's simple. Christ is the gospel. And when we say that this sermon series is titled Unstoppable Gospel, that doesn't just mean good news that will prevail against all odds. It means as well, and most importantly, that Christ will prevail over all because he is the gospel. And so if we're looking at the body of our text today, we have a twofold prayer report from Paul. There's a prayer as thanksgiving, in this case, participation in the gospel. He is thankful. And then also a prayer as petition or a question and ask for continued, continued fruitfulness in living out the gospel in Philippi. And Paul recognizes that both the thanksgiving and the petition, the ask, are guaranteed to continue because it's God's work in them. And this is why Paul can say in verse 6 that he's confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. He's affirming that Christ has already begun a good work in the church, 
And then in verse 10 and 11, Paul is praying for the same work to continue so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless. But he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 11, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Paul is saying it's not about an individual being pure and blameless just for our sake, for our individual sake. Our goal is not piety or just right standing for ourselves. It's meant to point others to Christ and build his kingdom here on earth. And as people in Christ were naturally and really automatically partners with him, he is doing a work in us and that work in us transforms us into being a part of the kingdom work that's sitting right in front of us. It's almost like Sam said last week, where you, you get some kingdom glasses you put on and you see the world with a whole new clarity in terms of kingdom. And Gordon Fee says this, the accent is on what God is doing in them, not what he's doing through them. It's yet another way of speaking about their participation in the gospel, not so much about their sharing it, but about their experiencing it and living it out in Philippi. And Paul's extremely passionate about this, and his emotion is simply the outflow of his theology. And his theology has to do with the gospel, which we know, at least in the last five minutes, but I'm sure for longer, who's the gospel? Gospel is Christ. It moves him deeply. It is Christ in Paul who's producing the fruit of love by the Holy Spirit and who enables him to actually yearn for the welfare, for their welfare, with the compassion of the Lord. And this theology is one that knows that Christ is working in us now and that it will also be fulfilled and brought to completion in the future. And we've talked about this before, but we are a kingdom of people that are living in a reality that the kingdom is already here, but also not yet. And what Paul wants for the Philippians is for them to stand on that day, the day of Christ, full of the fruit of righteousness. But in order to do that, they must now be actually living out such righteousness. Again, not through their own efforts, but through Christ working in and through them. And so the gospel proves relevant and credible today through the faith that the kingdom lies in the future, but proves itself in changing the present in the direction of the future. I'm going to say that one more time. The gospel proves relevant and credible today through the faith that the kingdom lies in the future, but it proves itself in changing the present right now in the direction of that future. And our future reality in Christ should influence and change how we live here and now. If you're new to the Alliance, you can always check out one of our most, maybe our most, famous authors and pastors, A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, he says, as a sailor locates his position in the sea by shooting the sun, so we may get our moral bearings looking at God. We must begin with God. 
And Christ doesn't simply give us eternal life and then leave us to work on our own, to work things alone for the rest of our life. Rather, the work begun in us is continued to completion. So I want to take a look at what that work might look like. And there's a couple things I want to highlight in Paul's prayer. So verse 3, where Paul tells the Philippians that he's constantly praying with joy. And then in verse 9, where he says that your love may overflow more and more with the knowledge and full insight. So when Paul mentions the word joy, it is the first of 16 occurrences of this word group in the letter. So joy is a significant motif in this epistle because it's recurring, therefore we make note of it. And for Paul, joy lies at the heart of the Christian experience of the gospel. We recognize it as a fruit of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians 5. But Romans 14, 17 also says, For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that the Christian life is not one of gloom, but of ever-increasing joy in the Lord. And this is going to be brought out in the coming weeks as while we're in this book in Philippians. But let me just say this ahead of the rest of the texts. When we talk about joy in Philippians, we are not talking about a platitude-like joy. We are not saying, and I actually had this on my wall in my bedroom. It was a clown. Oh, it was horrible. It was a clown holding a flower. And it said, don't worry, be happy. And I think that was an inappropriate thing to have on my wall. <laughs> it was scary. But we are not saying, don't worry, be happy. We're not saying, ignore the circumstances that you find yourselves in, regardless of how hard they may be. This is joy from the Holy Spirit that can transcend our circumstances, even if our circumstances remain the same for a time. Again, when we speak of joy, we do so with the big picture in mind that Paul consistently refers to. The kingdom is already here, but not yet. This means we see evidence of the kingdom in the things like the filling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts. But we also know that the world is still broken by sin. This is a world that we live in, interact with, that reality we deal with regularly in ourselves, let alone in our day-to-day -day life. So, like Tozer said, we must begin with God. He is the one that is at work in us, bearing fruit. And Paul always has this in his mind, that the work has begun, but also praying that it will continue until the day of Christ, when he will carry it on to completion. So now I want to jump to verse 9 and look at what Paul's talking about when he writes, your love may overflow more and more. And we know again from Galatians 5 that love is also a fruit of the Spirit. But this love enables all other spiritual virtues to be exercised properly. Colossians 3.14 says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And in Eugene Peterson's The Message... He translates it wonderfully in this way. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It is your basic, 
all-purpose garment. Never be without it. And the Philippians had already displayed their love in generously giving to Paul. They were supporting him while he was in chains. They're partnering with him. But love never reaches a saturation point. You can't hit a ceiling when you're growing in and sharing love with the people around you. And so today I want to look at love in two specific ways. And first, I want to look at love as compassion. And I'm not convinced that the evangelical Christian's public-facing persona is one of compassion. And I'm not talking necessarily specifically about Southview, but I think we should all look at ourselves. Because over the years, I've come to know a number of people outside the walls of the church, largely in music. And you'd actually maybe be surprised that the vast majority of them grew up in church. And when they were at their lowest and needed the church the most, theoretically, the church burned them. And they won't be coming back ever if they have any say in it. And I think there's a lot of us that know people in that boat. In fact, there's going to be a lot of us hearing this that would say, perhaps I'm in that boat or I'm at least adjacent to it. So there is no doubt that our compassion, love as compassion, we need to grow in this area. And I can say that to us as a church family, that each of us need to grow in it because love doesn't reach the saturation point. There is no ceiling. So we can grow in this, but we need to ask ourselves these questions. And you may be aware, if you know me, you know I love reading Henry Nouwen. I love what he says about compassion with this quote. Our call to compassion is not a call to try to find God in the heart of the world, but to find the world in the heart of God. That is the way of the apostle Paul, Benedict, Francis, Ignatius, Teresa of Avila, Martin Luther, John Wesley, all the spiritual leaders in the history of the church. They all knew that the deeper our discipleship is, the deeper we enter into solidarity with the suffering world. And he goes on to say, the one who loves you unconditionally loves all of humanity unconditionally. So regardless of where you're from or where you've been, they, all of us belong to the house of God. So therefore, when we enter into intimate communion with the God of the first love, we will find ourselves in intimate communion with all the people of God, because the heart of God is the heart that embraces the whole of humanity. That's why intimacy with God always means solidarity with the people of God. And this is one of the important types of love that we should be asking ourselves about. It's clearly what Jesus wanted us to prioritize. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so we do have to kind of turn and take a look at ourselves and say, Is this kind of love present in our lives? Are we compassionate in the world? With friends and family or strangers? Are we known for this? 
That can be the collective we, Southview, or individually, Brett. Is Brett known for this? And secondly, Paul characterizes love in another specific way in our text, in that it is love that overflows more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best. And he Wright says this, there's the goal, and there too is the grace, the sovereign work of God that will get you to the goal. But don't suppose for a minute that this grace will work without your mind being fully engaged. God wants us to be people, not puppets. Real human beings who think things out and make actual decisions. So in that, we are participants in the gospel. We are partners in this ministry. This means that love requires action on our part. It means that we do have to make decisions and put in the effort to learn and grow in order to make those decisions, to determine what is best. Nothing about this love is passive. We are active participants in the gospel. In fact, according to the first chapter of Philippians, the more genuinely spiritual we are, the more clearly and accurately and carefully we will think particularly about what the completed goal of our Christian journey will be, and therefore what steps we should be taking or what habits we should be acquiring in the present as a part of our journey toward that goal. And so my challenge for us this week is to ask ourselves those questions. Again, and I've said it already, individually asking, but also asking ourselves as the church at Southview, Who can I love with the love of Christ this week? Who can I show the gospel to in word and action expressed in love and joy? And I'll be honest, this isn't a plug for another event at Southview, but this is why we do things like our discipleship pathway. And it's not a plug for it because you can't register anyway. It's the registration's up. But there's another one in January. But we've looked at our core practices through these discipleship pathways because while they're not an exhaustive list, these are key practices that are historically important in the discipleship process. And it's it's not rocket science. It's meeting together, serving, praying, talking to God, reading his word, and telling other people about who Jesus is. And building healthy habits in these areas are some of the ways to journey toward Christ and his return, because we are active participants in the gospel, and we will be known by our love in that way. And another way of participating as active partners is to come to the table. And we believe that coming to the Lord's table at Southview, we believe it's the high point of our gathering. And Henry Nouwen says, the Eucharist is about saying thanks for the seed that has been planted. It's saying, we are waiting for the Lord who has already come. So even in coming to the table, we're reminded of that already not yet paradigm, and we enter into communion with that paradigm right in front of us. We receive from Christ in this meal, but we also wait for Christ in this meal. And perhaps as we receive from him, we receive his love and joy, or we receive the growing ability to participate in the work of God in our world. But while we're doing that, 
we wait for his return that will actually bring the kingdom in fullness. And so I'll give us some time here. I'm going to do it as well at the same time. I want you to get your elements and peel back that first layer, and we'll get at the bread. And then I'm going to read from Matthew 26. We might as well all hear the, the plastic together. We used to cheat up here and open it ahead of time. All right, hear these words from Matthew 26 in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So friends, this is the body of Christ, broken for you, received from him. And we'll come to the cup. In verse 27, then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 29, I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this is the blood of Christ shed for you, received from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good gifts. May we be open to the work to your work in us as we travel on this journey toward Christ's return. Grant us your peace in the circumstances we find ourselves in. Grant us your joy in those circumstances. And may we be marked by your love for us and the world, growing in our compassion for others and our knowledge of you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're glad that you were able to join us this week. And I would encourage you to continue as the weekend goes on. Continue talking about the passage. Reread it. Send nasty emails to Sam. He's my boss. So you can say whatever you want to him. But read it and engage and talk about it. And remember, the service might be over, but that doesn't mean you have to run out of here. There's a little bit of light left. Maybe you met somebody new last week and you need to follow up, or you want to meet somebody brand new, do it. Take the time if you can. But if you want to stand, I'll give you the closing benediction, and I'm going to take it from our text today in Philippians. This is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best 
so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Go in peace.